my daddy. And I love my daddy, and I know my daddy is very human, but he's also ordained by God to preach the word, and so I am extremely excited this morning. I have missed his preaching, just because I miss my daddy, because I love him very much. So can we pray for him this morning? Dear Lord Jesus, I just thank you for my dad. Um, I thank you for his heart. I thank you for who he is. I thank you for his ability to preach the word, Lord. And I just pray that we will have open hearts and open minds and open ears this morning to hear what you want to say through him, Lord. And so bless this morning. Amen. Amen. Job, Daddy. Morning. Gosh, that's loud, isn't it? Well, it's not only that, you see, because um, I know that uh, yesterday someone was celebrating their wedding anniversary, and it was me. Oh, sorry. A and my wife. <laughs> so I just wanted to sort of get that in. We've, um, we've had five happy years together. <laughs> we've, been, we've been married for 45. <laughs> um, do you have a, a man in your house that sort of looks the way that men look when they're searching for something. Does, does your wife ever shout to you, move something? You know, where's the ketchup? It's in the left-hand cupboard, can't see it. Move something. <laughs> and there's certain things that happen in, in life and there are certain things in scripture where things have to be repeated or made clear. Um, in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 4, it says, When the Lord saw that Moses had turned aside to see, that's the burning bush, God called to him out of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. I had to say it twice. And then there's Samuel. And the Lord came and stood calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak for your servant hears. And Luke 22:31 Simon Simon behold Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat Why does God have to say it twice to men So I've worked out because men are thick Do you know what I mean I've worked it out that you know men are incredibly slow and until, until I until I found in the New Testament, as, uh, as uh, Chloe was reading. Uh, but the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. <laughs> you are anxious about and troubled about many things. So I've now worked out from that that uh, men are three times as thick as women, <laughs> which means that I've at least won over half the congregation today. <laughs> so there are times when God says things twice. And when God says things twice, he makes it clear that what he is saying is really important. The Bible teaching and promises are often repeated more than twice for us. They are said more than twice. Many, many times Bible promises and teachings are repeated. And in the verses, the three verses that we're going to look at, there's what seems to be a repeating of a teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is in 
Matthew 13 and verses 44 through 46. It's only three verses. Um, But this is what it says. And this is Jesus speaking, and he says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. So we've got something being told or apparently being told to us twice. And when God says something twice, we better start listening, hadn't we? If he repeats something, he is saying to us that that's important. And so we can look in the book of Daniel when the king in in Daniel is... And the hand begins to write on the wall, and it says, Mene, Mene, Tekelapazin. The word Mene is repeated. Found wanting, and it's repeated. Found wanting, found wanting. It's something really important. And when Daniel interprets that, he says, this is imminent. So when God repeats something, as he seems to repeat something here, the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is like. He says it twice. He is calling for us to look at that. The first kingdom parable speaks about a man who finds treasure in a field. And this is treasure that he just comes across. I don't know what he was doing in that field. Um, my wife and I went to walk from um, Mark's house to the towers. It's all uphill. <laughs> and, and we walked back. And it was still all uphill. It was, it was forever. And we got there, and then we had some breakfast, and I thought, well, you know, we'll, we'll get a taxi back. And she said a really rude word, four-letter word, and it was walk. <laughs> and we walked all the way back. We were just walking. We weren't searching for anything. We were walking. We walked up, and... There was a lady, and she had really bad eyesight, and she was walking behind us, and I was frightened that she, we, would, we were in the way, so I moved to one side, and that shocked her, and we spoke to her, and we looked at a tree, and she told us what the tree was, and she said to us that this is a tree called this, and after about five minutes of that, she said, oh, I don't think this tree is that, <laughs> but, but it was good, and it gave me a break, and... And we, we were just meandering, and we have to get that picture into our thinking. This is a man who was just walking. And when we came back, we were going past the RSL. Is that what it's called? Yeah, we were going past that, and there's a path, a concrete path, and then there's a path that people have taken the shortcut through the grass. Do you know what I mean? And my wife, being studious and strong and eco-friendly, took the path, and I took the shortcut across this little piece of grass because my legs were hurting, and I took my journey across this path, and it was just a a piece of grass, I don't know how big it would be, but it was a fairly big piece of grass, and I walked across this grass, and that's what people would have done in the time of Jesus, a field, you, you would walk across it, you wouldn't sort of say, where's the road, you would just walk across this path, it's what you would do, 
And this man, it says to us, he was a man who found treasure in a field. He didn't go around with one of those things with a sort of, you know, a metal detector. I was going to say that. He didn't go around, mm, mm. he wasn't doing that. He was just walking to the towers. He was just walking through a field and he probably was there and he was tired and he think, I'll take a shortcut across this field. And he's going across this field. He's, he's not looking for anything. He's having a walk. He may have wondered what's happening in the town this time. And he's walking across. Don't know, he could have kicked this stone and something glistens in the, in the middle of the ground. And he goes and checks and it's treasure. And he sees the treasure in this field. He wasn't going treasure hunting. He wasn't going to find anything. This tells us there was a man and he was walking and he was going through a field. We're not told anything else about him. We're not told whether he was rich or poor. We're not told whether he was tall or short. We're not told whether he was intelligent or simple. It was a man who was walking through a field. And he finds this treasure. He doesn't find a coin. He doesn't find a purse. He finds treasure. There is something of huge substance here for him. There is treasure in this field. And he sees this. And what it tells us is that he covers it up and he goes to f buy this field. In simple language, he sees, he sells, and he secures. He sees this treasure, he sells all that he has in order to secure it. Now there is a question as to how he goes about this. And it's a very important question when we come to this, because this is uh, talking to us about the kingdom. It's talking about the kingdom of heaven. It's talking about our eternal welfare, and it's talking about our salvation. It's talking about things that are important. And this man is walking along. He finds this treasure. He's speaking about the kingdom. He somehow kicks it. Oh, this treasure is here. He covers it up, and he, he has to go to the owner, and he says to the owner, do you fancy selling your field? And the owner says, I didn't thought about it. There's no sign up saying field for sale. He just says, you know, I, I, want, I want to buy your field. And the man says, okay, how much do you want to pay? And he says, how much do you want? And he says, I'll ask something ridiculous. And he says, for that field, which is, oh, I don't know, two acres, I want $10,000. And the man says, yes. He says, I'll buy it for that. The guy, you're choking. It's worth about $400. I'm asking for $10,000. you are going to pay it. And he says, yes, I'll pay it. I'll pay for this field. Because he knows that there's tremendous value in there. And now what does it say to us in the scriptures? It says this. It's a question that is here. He doesn't just go and buy this field. It says to us that he goes and buys it with joy. Did you see what it says in Scripture? It says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in the field, that when a man found and covered up, then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has. This guy is hysterical about buying this field. This guy is completely committed to buying this field. And he buys it out of the joy that is there. And so I have to say this, and in some ways this is completely wasted on you from what I've heard and seen and experienced this morning. There should be joy in the church. 
I believe that it is God's default setting. God's default setting is joy. I believe that there is this joy that we will be enjoying forever in the kingdom of God. And this man doesn't go and buy this field with a face that looks like a slapped bottom. He goes and does, buys this field with joy. He knows what's ahead. Now for me, I know something of what's ahead. I know something of what glory will be, don't you? I know something of what heaven will be. I know something of what I can expect when I see the master face to face. And there will be joy. Well done. Isn't that what we live for? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Is that okay? Listen to this. Enter into the... Yeah? Not the singing. Yeah? Not the misery. Not the fault finding. But enter into the joy of your Lord. And I want to say that to us. There should be something about us that exhibits that being a disciple of Jesus Christ is this thing of joy. It is God's default setting. Does anybody have a problem realizing that Natalie's my daughter? Gorgeous, isn't she, like her dad? <laughs> if you met my other daughter, you would know that they were sisters. Is that okay? And you would know. You've met her. Stunning, isn't she? Like me, isn't she? Can I just say this? I think I love you. <laughs> you see, there should be this thing called a family resemblance. And Father, our Father, his default is joy. Look at the world that's around us. What's that fantastic song that we sang yes, last week? And you know, he breathes and a thousand bugs have breath. You know, he speaks and a billion, billion stars are formed. Why? For the sheer joy of it. Don't you laugh sometimes when you hear somebody say they have found a new fish at the bottom of the ocean? And they bring this fish up, and it's the ugliest thing you've ever seen. And this thing is brought up, and they say, this is the first time that anyone's ever seen it. Then why on earth did God make it if we didn't see it? And the answer is this. He didn't make it for you. He made it for his pleasure. He made it for his joy. Do you get it? He made it for his joy. All of creation is his joy. It is this expression of God saying yes. And then above all things, having made everything, when he made the moon and the stars, when he made the sun, when he made creatures, when he made light and dark, all this was good until he made woman and man. And then he said this. It is very good. Can you imagine? Do you see? There is something within us, something about us. We are created for this joy. And this man, having found this treasure, this is a parallel of the kingdom of God, he goes and he sells all that he has with joy in order to get hold of this. 
and he sells all that he has. Clearly, the treasure is worth giving everything to. And the parallel of that is surely Jesus is worth giving everything to. That's the picture. That's what it's trying to tell us, that it is worth giving it all. This is what Paul writes in Philippians in chapter 3, verse 7 and following. But whatever I gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order to gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and by any means possible that I might attain the resurrection from the dead. The glowing mark of the Christian is joy. Five days a week, five days in the morning, I usually go into the local hospice and the staff that are there are getting a bit sick of me, really. But I go in and we have our meetings and we have this team stuff. And one day a member of staff said to me, I just think you're slightly touched, you know. And I said, oh, thank you. That's great. I can, live, I can live with that. And they said, how is it that every morning you come in as happy as you are? And I said, do you know that there's a God that loves you no matter what you do? And they said, no. And I said, mm. And left. Yes? No one can cross my path without God's permission. Did you know that? Yes? A sparrow falls in the middle of bobbin head. How am I doing? Do you get sparrows in this country? A rock turkey falls <laughs> in bobbing head. And he knows. Every single hair on your head is numbered. Do you get that? He knows everything that is happening and he knows me. And when I walk up to Castle Towers, the people that I pass and the woman with glasses on that indicate that she can barely see, that is an encounter that God has put together for me. Is that okay? Is that all right? And when my health fails, he knows. And when I can't make the budget match, he knows. And when I'm betrayed by friends, or by husband, or by wife, he knows. And he is there. And his joy is with us. And this is what we have to learn here. This man is not a treasure hunter. He's just a man. 
just a man who wants to buy a field, and he gets this field, and he goes and says, I must have the treasure in this field, and he seeks that field, just as the Lord says to us, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and I'll give you all this other stuff as well. I don't even know if the, seal, the field was for sale. The parable doesn't let us into that. But he does tell us that this is a parallel for the kingdom of God. Can you imagine finding this treasure? Can you imagine going home to your wife and saying, darling, you'll never guess what. There's this field and it's got treasure in it. And I can imagine my wife saying, oh, that's nice, dear. And I'm saying to her, we've got to sell all that we have in order to get this field. That's nice, dear. I don't know what this man said to his wife. He says, darling, we've got to sell the four by four. The camel's got to go. <laughs> okay, dear, you know, we'll, we'll get a Toyota instead. And he says, and, and darling, the cutlery's got to go. Okay, darling, that's fine. And darling, we've got to sell the house. Okay, sell the house. And you know the jewelry I bought you? That's got to go. Now we're getting a bit silly. And the wedding ring has got to go. This man goes and he sells all that he has in order to buy that field. If I went to my wife and I said, we're selling the car, wouldn't bat an eyelid. If I said to her, uh, we're selling the other car, she said, wouldn't bat an eyelid. If I said, we're selling the Porsche, she wouldn't bat an eyelid. If I said, we're selling the house, I've seen something so amazing, she would probably go, hmm. And if I said to her, darling, we've got to sell your wedding rings, I'd be in real trouble. Does that make sense? This man says, I'm prepared to sell everything in order to get that. You see, if we are going to be committed to God, we have to understand what that means. If we are going to be full in with God, there's a real price to pay for that. And I can imagine him saying to his wife, darling, we have to sell all the jewelry. And her saying, you're mad. And some of you will come to that point in your life when you'll say to family or to friends, I am going to serve in this way and I'm not going to be the doctor you thought I'm going to be or the accountant you thought I'm going to be. I'm going to be a worship leader. I'm going to be a preacher. I'm going to go to places where normal people don't go. I'm all in for God. And they're going to say to you, what's the matter, are you mad? You already serve in this way. You already do this. You already do that. And you're saying, yes, but I've seen I've seen in him this treasure that is worth giving everything for. Do you get it? I've seen in him someone that is so winsome and beautiful, I'm prepared to give everything for. And this man goes and buys the field. And I reckon the first thing he did was go back to this pawnbroker and say to him, can I buy my wife's ring back? Because I'll tell you this, God is no man's debtor. He's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth giving everything for him. 
well, I don't know if you're like me, but I ask myself, why didn't you just take the treasure? You know what I mean? Get a big bag, stick it in there, nip off. <laughs> didn't you ask yourself that? Or is it just me? Is there something wrong with me? You know? Why didn't he just pick it up, stick it in a bag and go? Well, you need to hear this. Because you see, my salvation is not based purely on the joy of this kingdom's experience. My salvation is based on a legal basis. My salvation is based on a forensic basis. I am not saved by what I feel. I am saved by what he has done in the court of heaven, declaring me forgiven. Okay? I am declared forgiven. It's a legal transaction that took place before the Father at the cross. And legally, I'm forgiven. I've been married 45 years. I got married when I was eight. I've been married 45 years. And do you know we've never had a crossword? You don't believe me, do you? No. Do you know, sometimes I don't feel married. That's been in the early days. But I was. Years ago, am I doing okay for time, by the way? Years ago, I was asked if I would go and witness something in a court. And I had to go to court, and I sat sort of here. Here were these two people, a man and a woman. And here was a social worker with a baby. And there was a magistrate. I don't know how it's done in this country. And we went through all this legal stuff. And he turned to the couple and he said to them, you're about to adopt this child. Do you understand? And they said, yes. And the magistrate said, they, this child will bring you joy. Do you understand? And they said, yes. And then they said, he said, this child may break your heart. Do you understand? And they said, yes. And he said this, once I step off this dais and come to you and sign this document, this child is yours. Faces lit up. He said, yes, yes. And this magistrate stepped down, walked to this table. I'm here. They are here. Social worker and baby is over there. And he came down and he was crying as he signed this document and then asked this couple to sign it underneath him. And he was crying. And he went and took this baby and handed it to them and said, this baby is now yours. I was moved by this. And he said... Whether this child turns out good or bad, they're yours. Whether they break your heart or bring you joy, they're yours. Whether you feel like it or not, they're yours. Is that okay? A legal transaction took place. This did not rest upon this couple saying, Yes, 
their mind, their mind. It didn't rest on that. It didn't rest on the joy that they felt. It didn't rest on the treasure that was being given to them. It rested on a forensic legal act that was taking place. And I do not believe that I'm going to heaven. I know I'm going to heaven. Because on that cross, a legal transaction took place, which tells me this. The angels and demons, death and life, nothing, nothing can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus my Lord. And I want to tell you this, it's worth giving everything for that. Is that okay? There was a young man up in Scotland and I was, I did a, some work with him, which meant that in the middle of this talk, I turned a piece of paper into a $10 note. And I gave it to him, and he held on to this $10 note. His situation was just dire. And this $10 note just meant so much to him. I used $10, it was 10 pounds. Is that okay? But you understand what I'm saying. And there was, he stood with this. And the day went on, and later in the day they were playing football, and he came up to me and he said to me, why did you give me that 10-pound note? Because I did nothing for you. And I said to him, because I did nothing to be saved. I wanted to give you a picture of what God has done. And he just had this 10-pound note, and he said, how, how can I know Jesus like that? And I said to him, because it just happened to be that way, I said to him, in my back pocket I've got something. Will you give me that 10 pounds for what's in my back pocket? And he said, what's in your back pocket? I said, I'm not going to tell you. I said to him, you give me that 10 pound notes, I'll give you what's in my back pocket. And he looked at me. And he said, yes. And I said to him, that's faith. And I took his 10 pound, his $10, and I went into my back pocket, and I pulled out 20 and gave it to him. You see, to receive this gift is faith. Is he worth trusting? Is Jesus the treasure that we say he is? Have you had that sense that this Jesus is so wonderful, I must have this? Are you prepared to give everything to have this, this relationship with him? Are you aware that it will cost you to really follow him, everything? Okay, I think we've traveled quite well together so far. We may differ from now on. Is that okay? This is a place where you and I may differ. And I'd like to say, sarcastically, if you differ from me, you're wrong. But this is too important. We come to the second part of the parables, the second one. And it says this. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Two parables about the kingdom. We've spoken about the fact that when God says something twice, we, we need to listen. But the question I have to ask is, has he said the same thing twice? I don't think he has. The parable of the pearl is different. We're told something about this man. We're told that he's a merchant. He isn't named, but his job is named. He's a merchant. He's not only a merchant, we're given more than that. He's a merchant looking, looking, seeking 
for beautiful pearls. And when we talk about seeking, we're using the words, we're using the phrase where it says, Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. We're putting a lot of emphasis on this word seek. He is searching for beautiful pearls. And so I must now get something out of your mind before I can put something in. Is that okay? And again, you might disagree, but I hope that you won't. The Bible does not say, the Bible does not say, does not say that he was a man looking for a pearl of great price. We're steeped in that, and it is wrong. The Bible does not say he was looking for a pearl of great price. What it says is this. He was looking for a, a pearl of great value. And the two things aren't the same. He was looking for a pearl of great value, and he finds a pearl of great value that other people had overlooked. When I was 14 years old, 14 and years and 16 days old, my father died. Two days before my father died, he gave me uh, a piece of paper. He put it in a small cellophane um, wallet, and he gave it to me. And this little piece of paper is the size of a credit card. No bigger than that. It's printed on both sides. And this piece of paper is probably the most valuable piece of paper that I've got. I suppose sometime this week we will go to Sydney again. And I, may, I fancy going to Sydney. I, I think I'll go along Queen Street, which is somewhere. And there's a place there called Bonhams. It's an auction house. I fancy going into there, pulling out my little piece of paper, and saying to some guy, at, you see this? Yeah, he says. And I say to him, can you put an evaluation on this for me, please? And I could imagine the man getting out one of those little things. I don't know what they're for, but... And there he is. He's looking at this, and he turns it over. He says, yes. I think I can give you five or six thousand million cents. He says, give you five or six cents for it. That's the price he set on it. Can you imagine that? Do you think that's the price I set on it? Yeah. This is not a pearl of great price. It's a pearl of great value. I saw a cracking advert on Aussie television. Specsavers. Don't know if you've seen it. Somehow they've set up a false clinic or hospital. And they asked the question, we want to buy your eyes and we'll give you a million pounds for your eyes. <gasps> no, okay, and I think, I may be wrong, but they went up to 130 million pounds for this person's eyes. This is a Specsavers advert, yes? They knew what the price was, but now they learned about the value. This man is not looking for expensive pearls. He is not looking for a pearl of great price. He is looking for a pearl of great value. Can you see the difference? We have been steeped in 
Sunday school by the pearl of great price. This isn't what we're told here. It's a pearl of great value. And we're told something about this man. He's a merchant. And this merchant goes seeking after pearls of great value. He wants to find this pearl. I don't know why we're not told, but we know this, that for some reason of his own knowledge, of his own making, of his own purpose, he is looking for a pearl of great value. And he finds it. A pearl of great value that everybody else has missed. But he sees it. Why? Because this pearl is suitable for the purpose for which he wants it. He wants this for a particular purpose. Now, you may not know this, pearls aren't all the same size. Did you know that? Oh, you did. There are small ones and there's big ones. Did you know that pearls aren't all the same color? Oh, you did. Did you know they're not all the same shape, they're not all round? For some reason, he sees this pearl. You ready? He sees this pearl and he says, that is what I've wanted. That is what is so important to me. And he takes it and he gets it and he says, what do you want for it? And the man says, I want 100,000. And he goes off and he sells all that he has. Is that the same story? No, it's not. And it's not the same story for this reason. The Bible says this in Romans 3. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. Left to ourselves, none of us would seek God. Jesus said that no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. We have a choice, and the choice is this. The merchant is the merchant us, seeking after this pearl of great value. I don't know about you, but I had no interest in God until he began to work in my heart. It may be where you are, some of you this morning, that you're saying, what are all these people about, all this Jesus stuff? Until God shows you who Jesus is, you won't see the value of him. I didn't go seeking after God. I didn't go trying to find him. What I do find in Scripture is this, that the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. It is Jesus that came looking for the lost sheep. It is Jesus that came looking for the person that was away from God. It is Jesus that says, I have come not for the righteous, but for those that aren't righteous. And so I end up looking at this and I come to this conclusion that the merchant isn't you and me. The merchant is Jesus. Is that okay? You haven't got it yet, have you? Because if you'd got this, then you'd be leaping up and down like crazy people. Because if Jesus is the one that is seeking after this pearl of great value, that makes me that pearl. And it tells me this, that he's put a price on my head. He's put a price on my head and he has said this, I am prepared to give everything just to get you. And if you don't understand your value, then you will never know the joy of the Lord. He says, I found you. 
Everybody else has missed you. Can I just ask you to pretend for a minute that I'm just talking to you? Is that okay? I found you. Everybody else has missed you. But I found you. And I found you for a purpose that no one else may understand. But I'm prepared to give everything to get you. How do you feel about that? Is it there yet? How do you feel about the fact that he's put this value on you? That other people may have missed you. Other people may have written you off. Let me finish this. Other people in the church may have finished, written you off. They may not see the value that you have. But he does. He does. There was a man. He worked every other weekend. One weekend he'd work. He worked in an electrical company. One week on, one week off, one week on, one week off. And the week that he was off, he would go and see his aged mum. And on the Saturday, he would go and see his mum. On the Friday, he would phone her up and say, Mum, I'm going to see you tomorrow. She would say, oh, lovely. Because that's how mums talk. <laughs> and every Friday night on the way home, he would buy a bunch of flowers for her to take to his mum. And on the Friday, he bought a bunch of flowers to take to his mum. And he got home and the phone went. And it was his boss saying, the guy who works this weekend is ill. Can you take his shift? And he says, I can't. I'm going to see my mum. And he said, look, there's no one else to come in. So he says, okay. He phones his mum and he says, mum, I can't come this weekend, but I'll come next weekend. Oh, I'm sorry, she says. So that's fine. And so that weekend he doesn't see her. That week... He goes to work, and the next weekend, he's due to go and see his mum. And he's walking home past the florist, and he says, oh, I've got flowers there from last week. So he goes and gets the flowers and takes them to his mum, and he gives her these flowers. These are for you. They're all drooping. The leaves are falling off. They're turning brown, which incidentally is a fabulous colour. The leaves are falling down. The stalks are withered. The flowers are drooping. And he gives them to his mum. And his mum says, Oh, wow, they're really lovely. And he gets the vase and puts it in the middle of the table, in the middle of the room, puts the flowers in. They have their weekend, their Saturday together. On the Monday, the cleaner comes. You know what cleaners are like. Yeah? I hope there's no cleaners here. <laughs> If it doesn't move, you hoover it. If it does move, you put it in the bin. So she's busy, she's busy hoovering, and she comes to these flowers, all droopy. And she grabs hold of the vase, and the woman says, what do you think you're doing? And the cleaner says, I'm going to throw the flowers away. And the woman says, no, leave them alone. And she says, but have you seen them? The heads have died, the leaves, the petals are falling off, the leaves have withered. They're a complete, they're, dying, they're nearly dead, they're rubbish. I'll put them in the bin. And the mother says, you leave them alone. My son bought them for me. Look at us. <laughs> Look at us. Withered, drooping, 
the worse for wear. Sin has ravaged us. Sin has ruined us. Sin has cut the legs from us. We're a mess. And the world writes us off. And friends write us off. And wives write us off. And husbands write us off. And Jesus says, Father says, leave them alone because my son bought them for me. He's put an enormous value on you, a huge value on you. He's given everything for you. And my invitation to you is this. Ask Jesus to show you his, the value that you have to him. Other people may have missed you. You may have been told you're rubbish, but Jesus has set a value on you, and the price that he sets on you, he pays in full. I don't know if you don't take communion. I don't know if you think of yourself as so broken and battered and rubbish that you've stopped taking communion. Can I have a question for you? Who are you going to believe, you or the one who values you? Jesus values you. He's set a price on you. Are you going to believe him? Is that a yes? yes. Are you going to, yes? <laughs> and then to say, Lord Jesus, this is the value you've placed on me. And Lord, today, although I don't understand it all, and I don't know what people are going to say, I want to follow you. I want to follow you. It may be that you're not a Christian this morning. But have you learned this morning that he values you? And nothing can change that. Other people may have missed you, but he hasn't missed you. He has set a price on you. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, you need to talk to someone today. Communion will not save you. But it may be the first of your steps to being brought to him. We're going to share communion in just a few moments. Just one more thing I wanted to say while the worship group were in full blast. The person next to you has got a price on their head. And Father put that price on their head. Wouldn't it be wonderful to be part of a church where we treat each other according to how God values us. Wouldn't that be great? To be part of a church where we look at each other and say, man alive, God has valued you. I'm going to treat you as the most precious thing in this building. How would we talk to each other then? How would we live with each other then? How would you behave if you knew that next to you was a pearl of great value that God is prepared to give his son for? I want to be part of a church like that. Before we take communion, it's at the front and at the back. I think I've got that right. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, to your mercy, we find ourselves willing subjects, willing victims. We thank you, Father, that you're calling us to a radical way of living. You're calling us to give all that we have to you. 
And then, Lord, you tell us the value that you've placed on us, the worth that you've placed on us. Lord, there's a, a value, there's a fine pearl. You have found us for your own particular reason and purpose. Lord God, we offer ourselves to you today afresh, knowing that you've given yourself for us. Lord, please, as we share communion together, Lord, be merciful to us. In Jesus' name, amen.